Thanks for checking out the Power Place audio podcast. The Power Place exists to help you encounter the Lord's presence daily, to empower you with His Spirit and His Word so that you can engage your world. Here at the Power Place, we believe the Bible from cover to cover. And our prayer is that as you listen, the absolute truth of God's Word would bring complete freedom to every area of your life. I think I can pray right now and we can just leave. That's good. I'll be fine with that. This truly is, uh, it's an honor. It's a privilege. It's something I don't take lightly. Um, As Pastor Greg said, my family and I have been here from day one. Uh, I've known Allie Hollis back then, Allie Hollis, since she was 12 years old. And we're in a next level faith series. And Knowing her from the time she was 12 until now, 18 full years, that took a lot of faith to turn, get to. I'm just kidding now. I love you. I'm just kidding. But anyway, it is an, I, I'm privileged to be up here and uh, expecting God to do big things. Uh, so we are finishing up our series, Next Level, Next Level Faith. Uh, we heard from Pastor Greg on Noah and Joseph. Can we give it up for Pastor Greg on those two? Those were fantastic words. Last week, if you were here, we got to hear from... Pastor Landon, as he brought a fiery message on Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Let's give it up for Pastor Landon. He's back there running sound today. So today we're going to wrap up the series, and I'm going to introduce you all to a man named Paul. Now, when we first decided to do this series months ago, the Lord had downloaded the name Paul on my heart, and so I was actually the first one that Pastor Greg said, okay, we're going to do a series, Next Level Faith. Billy, you pick a character in the Bible. And immediately I was like, oh, immediately. I don't know why, but all of a sudden I just said Paul. And the more I've been studying, the further I've been going, there's been times when I was like, Lord, are you sure I'm supposed to do Paul? Like this, maybe I bit off a little more than I could chew on this one. This man wrote half the New Testament. Where do I even start? I don't know where to begin with Paul. He's done so much. His faith is so big but I feel the Lord has really given me a message for such a time as this, for such a time as today about Paul. Uh, So before we go any further, let me pray for us. Lord, we come to you right now. God, we pray on this Pentecost Sunday. Lord, just as it was back then, I pray that you descend upon us right now, God. Lord, not like a little rain, God, like a rushing waterfall. Descend upon us, let your spirit rest upon us. God, I pray you would use me. God, I pray that what comes out of my mouth would be pleasing to you. I pray you use me as a mouthpiece for you today, Father. Use me up to my full potential, Father. You can have it all. It all belongs to you, Lord. God, I pray that the audience you give us, ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to discern, and minds to understand today. We give it all to you today. In your name we pray. Amen. So if you have your Bibles today, or your phone, I'm going to start with uh, Hebrews 11, verse 1, that says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for, and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so what is seen was not made out of what is visible. One of the most prominent verses in the Bible on faith. Uh, The next bit of scripture, the next bit of passage, uh, I'm going to more or less summarize it. So Brandon, you don't have to keep up with me if you want, but it's known as the Hall of Faith. Play on words of Hall of Fame. Paul talks about man after man, woman after woman, and their faith and how God was able to use them. So let's go. Paul continues on. He gives example. He says, By faith, Abel gave a better offering than Cain. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life without experiencing death. By faith, Noah built the ark. By faith, Abraham, when tested, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob. By faith, Jacob blessed each of Joseph's sons. By faith, Joseph spoke on the exodus of the Israelites 
By faith, Moses refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. By faith, the Israelites then passed through the Red Sea. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, when welcomed, the spies in, was not killed when those walls fell. By faith. Then Paul goes on to to talk about others. He says, Paul literally says, I do not even have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. He doesn't have time. there's, There's too many to name. This is the hall of faith. And there's a common thread which each and every one of these is their number one source of faith was the only source of faith. The Lord. So let me ask you today. What is your source of faith? What is your faith source? Do you put your faith in man? Do you put your faith in money? Fame? Do you put your faith in a little old man in Washington, D.C. who tells you to stand six feet apart and not go to church? Wait a minute. Brandon, did you put that in my notes? I didn't put that in there. Who was that? Do we put faith in ourselves? I'll tell you, for me right now, my number one source of faith, I just had a baby. So my source of faith is in the Pampers name and the Huggies name. And I pray, Lord, keep that pee and poo that comes out of my daughter in those diapers every five minutes of my life. Thank you, Jesus. Bless Pampers and Huggies. Allow no shortage to happen there. So, today, I want to share with you what I feel very strongly the Lord has placed on my heart for today. I'm going to give you three essential steps, if you're taking notes, three steps on how to allow God to be our one and only source of faith. You see, faith is the key to our relationship with God. Therefore, God is the only source of faith we will ever need. Are you with me? Let me say that again in case you missed it. Faith is the key to our relationship with God. Therefore, God is the only source of faith we will ever need. So as I mentioned, three essential steps. The first step is finding your identity in Christ. We have to know who we are in God before we can rely solely and fully on him. It's by no coincidence that Pastor Landon last week uh, brought, as I mentioned, such a fiery and passionate word. And In his word, if you missed it last week, he said, when the world's culture shifts, you better know who you are in Christ. Isn't that cool how God works? Well, weeks ago, if you were here on Mother's Day, my sister, Brittany, she brought a word and she talked about identity as well. Know who you are. Last week, God downloads it on land and spirit to speak about identity. And before, I had been preparing for this for months. You know, when I was, like I said, when I was told months ago I was going to preach, I started, you know, back in February. This was already on my heart. The Lord had already downloaded that. So what is God doing right now? That should get you excited. So what's your identity? Ask yourself right now. I want you to ask yourself. In fact, turn to your neighbor. Ask them, what's your identity? Is your identity the amount of likes that you get on Instagram on every post you make? Is your identity sitting behind a computer screen making Facebook post after Facebook post in a facade type of world? I don't know. Only you know that. And the Lord. I'll tell you who knew his identity. That was the Apostle Paul. But can I tell you a quick story? about a man named Saul? You guys know where I'm going with this? Raise your hand if you know where I'm going with this. I don't care, I'm gonna say it anyway. (laughs) So this young man, Saul, he's first introduced to us at the martyr, or at, at at the stoning of Stephen the martyr. Not many of us knew that, but Saul was actually the first mention of his name is at the stoning of Stephen. Uh, For those that don't know, Stephen was the first Christian martyr in the Bible. And just a real quick backstory on Saul. 
Uh, he comes from an elite background. His family is well-known. They're prominent back then. They're rich, powerful. Uh, Saul himself is a high-ranking official, high-ranking Pharisee back then. Uh, Saul studied under Gamaliel, who back in Bible days was the end-all, be-all, like the rabbi that you want to study under. So Saul knew the word. Saul, Saul knew what was happening. Saul wasn't dumb to the word. So I feel oftentimes we think of Saul as just, you know, you hear about Saul in the Bible and you just think, oh yeah, he was the guy that persecuted Christians. But no, 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 no. He knew, he knew the word of God. He knew the Lord. Or at least he thought he knew. So I'm going to pick it up at Acts 7.54. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious, gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up in the heavens, saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand. This is Stephen at the time. At this, they covered their ears. And I can just picture Stephen knowing what's about to happen. Yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed him, dragged him into the city, and began to stone him. I'll tell you, Stephen had next level faith. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Continues into chapter 8. And Saul approved of their killing him. Mm. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women, and put them in prison. So check it. He not only approves of their killing of Stephen, but the dude watches their coats for them. He, he's like, hey, you want to go stone that guy? There's a pile of rocks back here. As a matter of fact, put your coat at my feet. I'll, I got you. I'll watch it. I'm going to watch you stone him. It's sick. It's twisted. He's, he, is, he, th- he knows the Lord, but he's... Ugh. We all know the name Adolf Hitler, correct? Everyone knows that name. He was the tormented and, and ruthless leader of the Nazi party in Germany. He did heinous acts uh, to the Jews. So picture him, everything we know about him. Can I just tell you, tell you that Saul put Hitler to shame. You see, Hitler, Hitler would stand back and send out his goons. All right, you go drag them off. You go do that. Saul's going from house to house, dragging off men and women in front of their children. It says Saul began to destroy the church. He went from house to house, drag off both men and women. Another translation, it says he ravaged the church. Think about the word ravage. Paul didn't just go in and knock off a few, you know, things off the table, you know, pour some milk out, say, okay, let's go to jail. When you think of the word ravage, I think of a lion. I think of a lion catching its prey. It grabs it. It sinks its teeth in. It uses its claws to tear flesh, to break bones. This is what Saul is doing. He's ravaging the church. He's ravaging the Christians. And like I said, in front of children, for all intents and purposes, what Saul was doing was extremely demonic in nature. But guess what? In Saul's mind, he's doing the right thing. Tradition and culture, he was taught, okay, Christians are in the wrong. They're the false prophets. I'm right. What I'm doing, all of this sick, tormented persecution, he thinks he's, he thinks he's doing it for God. But do you see how easily the enemy can come and creep in and distort things to the point where you start to believe the lie? He's doing all of that because to him, that's what defined his righteousness. 
instead of the word of God. And as I said before, he's not an unbeliever by any sense. Uh, Before the road to Damascus, he believed everything he knew about God. But get this, he hadn't learned the difference between doing things for God and allowing things to do mighty things through him. I'm gonna say that one more time. Is everyone with me? You guys here? He hadn't learned the difference between doing things for God and allowing God to do mighty things through him. But I'll tell you what, he's gonna learn. Do you see the identity crisis there with Paul? With Saul, I'm sorry. He will turn, that's the new identity. But the issue Saul had was he was drawing from the wrong faith source. So we all know the part of uh, Saul's story next. It's a story that we have probably heard a, a thousand times in church. So I'll sum it up. He's on the road to Damascus, and he actually gets permission to go to Damascus to imprison more, to get as many Christians as he can. You know, Paul, Saul was keeping a body count. How many, how many Christians can I put in jail? How many can I imprison? So he's on his way to Damascus, and wouldn't you know the Lord showed up. Bam! He's knocked out, flat on his back. He goes to get up, but he can't see. He's blind. No sight. So we're going to pick up Acts 9, 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. And the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarshish named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports of this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said, Ananias, go. For this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim the name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Verse 17, then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Now, Yes, I'm here to tell you about Paul and Saul, but can I take a minute to shout out Ananias? You want to talk about some next level crazy faith? The dude knew who Saul was. He knows this guy's coming to take me in prison, probably kill me, and God comes to him and says, go meet him. Uh Huh? What? I'll tell you right now, if I was Ananias, I would be, I'd be on Google, where's my next flight, I'm out of here. He's, the Lord says, go meet the man who wants to put him in prison. That's next level faith. But because of that faith, Saul's identity has changed forever. See, I feel we overlook Ananias sometimes. That's some next level faith. So Saul is literally blind, Ananias gets to him, and he can see again by the grace of God. And from that moment forward, Saul, not yet Paul, but soon to be Paul, had a clear God-given identity. Uh, A quick little tidbit as I was uh, researching and doing some studying. The name Saul was the Hebrew-given name that means ask or question. The name Paul that he receives is actually um, the Gentile name that the Lord gave him, which means small or humble. And how cool is that, that the Lord gave him a name from Hebrew to then a Gentile name because it made him more relatable to those that he was about to go and convert. There's little tidbits in the Bible like that that really fire me up. So as I mentioned, first step on how to make God your faith source 
is finding your identity. Step number two, if you're taking notes, is twofold. It's complete surrender and total submission. I don't know about you, but growing up in church, identity was always the easiest part for me. I knew who I was. I knew who my parents were. I knew who they taught me to be. I was a child of God. Yes, I'm a child of God. You know what the hardest part for me was? It was the submission and the surrender. And I feel that's many of us in the church today. That's where many of us hit a brick wall. Anybody ever watch the show Cops? You know Cops? Bad boys, bad boys. I used to love, I remember, whenever I was in elementary school, middle school, whenever I stayed home from school, I always knew that there was always some constants in my life. It was always, all right, Price is Right's coming on. <laughs> Judge Judy's following it up. Come on with the cops. Let's go. We got about four hours of this, and then my mom's coming home. But can I tell you that even as a young child, I learned pretty quickly that when you buck back against authority, and when you aren't fully surrendered and submitted, your life is a little bit harder. I'm, I watched it. I'm telling you, it was always the crazy glue sniffer in the back who thought a trash can was a dragon, and he was running all over the place, and the cops were trying to tackle him. And he's, he's, I don't know where this is getting me. I'm like, dude, just chill. I would literally yell at the TV, just go down. It's going to be so much easier. There's no dragon. Your life is easy. Submit. Surrender. And I always noticed that, you know, every once in a while, it would just be a little old lady who was colorblind and she couldn't see it was red. Or so she thought it was a green light and then, you know, she would submit. So I always be like, okay, your life's a lot easier if you surrender it all and submit. James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Hmm. Romans 12, 2. Love this verse. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So why? Why is it so hard for us to surrender? What is it about this world? What's the grip that this world has on us that keeps us in that revolving door around and around? If you think of a revolving door, you go in one way, you exit one way, you enter it, and then you exit again. So what is it that we're in the world? Okay, it's as hard over here, so I'm going to church. I enter the revolving door, and I exit. Now I'm in church in full surrender. I surrender. Thank you, Lord. You surrender, but, oh, this is hard over here. Sometimes it was easier over there. I think I'm going to try that again. So you're back in the door. The revolving door goes around. And, oh, I'm back in the world. Oh, man, I'm free. You feel freedom here. That was, oh, I thought, oh, this is nice. And then what happens? The world beats you down. The highs that you feel start to go away. And ooh, it's hard over here. Oh, I can't breathe. What's happening? I need that again. So you're back in the door and you're back in church. Why is it so hard? What is it about that that keeps us going back and back and back? What is it? We just sang the song this morning. It's one of my favorites, and I had no idea we were doing it. As you can have it all, it all belongs to you. It's a total surrender. But I hear it all the time. I hear people out there singing. I, I'm pretty sure I heard someone say, you can have 78%, and I'm going to take 22 and put it in my pocket. You can, you can have that much. Thank you, Lord. And I'm going to take this much over here. No! 
We got it wrong. It's you can have it all. It all belongs to you. And for as long as I've been in church, that's the biggest issue standing in the way. It's the total surrender. It's hard. I don't have fun anymore. I can't do it. I gave up everything, but that movie that's out, did you guys see that movie? Yo, Tom Cruise, he's my favorite actor. I know it's complete trash, but I got to support him. I got to go see it. Or I listened to that band since I was 13. I don't listen to the bad lyrics anymore. It's just the good ones now. You know what I'm saying? That's all. I, I like that. But everything else is fine. I don't do that. Or, I mean, I have to tell a lie. I mean, I'm a lawyer. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I love you all. Hey, can I say something? If you're a lawyer online, thank you for your service. And if that little old man in Washington tries to shut us down again, we'll probably need you. So I love you. Thank you for your service. Support the troops. Thank you, Jesus. I need some water. Whew. Getting hot up here. I might preach. Is that okay? I'm only on page one of 19. Whew, I gotta get going. Tell you what. Can I say one thing real quick? I'm gonna stop. Can we give it up for our worship team really quick? Can we, let, let's give them a praise. Can we honor them? I have been in churches before that put worship in a box and they say, okay, worship team, you guys got uh, 18 minutes, 33.2 seconds, and then you got to get off the stage. But can I just say here, we have worship leaders and we have a worship team that is obedient to the spirit, that allow the spirit to move. That should excite you guys. That excites me. That fires me up. I looked at my watch at the end of worship and I was like, whoo. Over an hour, and I'm sure there was others that said, whew, an hour. Two different, two different ways you, you look at it. I'm sorry, I love it. Thank you, worship team. Where was I? So, I feel many Christians reach a certain point in their relationship with God that they lean on their own understanding. But when it says in the Bible, trust in the Lord with all, all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. We think we have everything under control. We don't need God anymore. Yes, okay, I surrendered. Now that I surrendered 100%, I'm done. No, it's a constant. I just said it, it's a constant renewal of your mind. I don't know about y'all, but when we were up here worshiping, when they talked about if there's something that you need to surrender, my hands were up because it's a constant. I, I don't have it all under control. I need a constant renewal of my mind. But that spirit of entitlement starts to creep in. And at that point, it's not about God anymore. It's all about me. And we get to the point where we go, hands up, fully surrendered, 100% surrender, my hands are up, I am 100% surrendered. Here I am, Lord, come, Lord. Lord, I surrender. Lord, I surrender. We go from full surrender to what can you give me? The problem is we want the provisions of the church, but not the authority of the church. Here I am, Lord. Here I am. Here I am. Give me everything you have here, but what? What do you have for me? What can I have? What can I get out of this? We want the provisions of the church, but not the authority of the church. Surrender has everything to do with the heart. So ask God, sitting there right now, ask God to examine your heart. Remove anything holding you back from total and complete surrender and submission. Psalm 26, 2. Test me, O Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind. Once Saul finds his identity and once he then becomes and is called Paul, as soon as he surrendered it all, 
His life was so easy. I am not being sarcastic right now. His life was so easy. He, they threw parties in his name. They showered him with gifts. Everywhere he walked, there was red carpets. Oh, you should have seen it. It was like the, the finest of the red linens. Everywhere he walked. This is not a joke. I'm not being facetious at all. I just want you to know this. I am being facetious. This is sarcasm. No! His life became literally hell on earth. Constantly. Constantly. Every step he took, the enemy tries to take him out. And he starts to feel it. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty six. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers. I have been in danger from bandits. I have been in danger from my fellow Jews, danger of the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the country, danger at sea, and danger from false believers. If you guys think like me, I like, to, I like parody sometimes. I like comedy. I'm a, I like to laugh. When I first read that verse, I'm thinking, is that verse up there? Go ahead, go, go, go back to 26, 11, 26. Is that, is that enough there? That's okay. All right, I'll say it. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty six. He starts by saying, I have been in danger from rivers. I'm thinking spiders, bears, lions, bandits, lions, tigers. He's the dude scared of a river? What? Why? If I were him, the first thing I'd be scared of is the bandits, the other people. But the dude's scared of a river? But you're going to find out just why. So let me give you a quick summed up version of Paul and the things he had to endure. Check this out. He is beaten time and time and time again and forced to bear 40 stripes minus one. Three times he is beaten with rods. One time he is stoned to the brink of death. Three times he is shipwrecked. He's arrested and imprisoned three times. He is constantly, constantly on the run from people trying to kill him. He is in peril by his countrymen. He is in peril by the Gentiles. He is in peril of false prophets. He is attacked and robbed multiple times. He is bitten by a venomous snake. The wilderness tries to take him out. Rivers and seas try to take him out. He deals with nightmares and horrible dreams about his past persecuting the Christians. Can you believe that? And those nightmares and dreams leave him constantly tired and weary. He's forced to go days without water. He's forced to go days without food. He's left stripped naked and on the brink of hypothermia. He's abandoned and deserted by his friends at one point while in prison. And at times he is beyond despair of life itself. I just listed off 19 things. There's more that that aren't in there. 19 things he had to go through. But we're afraid to share the gospel with our next door neighbor? Are you with me? You guys hear that? He's beaten with rods. He's shipwrecked. The snake bites him. The dude's scared of a river. I'd never been scared of a river. But we can't share the gospel with our next door neighbor? Woo. I don't know about you, but I don't think my neighbor would ever try to beat me with a rod. And if they would, I'm moving. <laughs> Paul suffers all of this, yet his faith is unwavering and undying. Why? Identity, surrender, and lastly, it's because Paul had active faith and he kept it activated. Key number three, activation. A faith activation. One of our core values here at the power place is health. And we say daily encounters with the Lord matter. It's not a, a weekly. It's not on a Wednesday. It's not at a men's night. It's not just on a Sunday. It's just not when you go to have coffee at Starbucks. It's a daily encounter. It's a constant renewal of your mind. 
We prioritize our health by submitting our mind because health produces health. That's how you get activation. It's a relationship with the Father. In Acts chapter 16, verse 16, I'm not going to read it, but I urge you to read it. If you haven't before, I'm just going to kind of give you the, uh, as I like to use many times in middle school and high school, the cliff notes. Somebody said, I don't know who said it, thank you. So in Acts 16, it's Paul and his buddy Silas. Paul and Silas are going through the country. They are on a mission to convert souls for Christ, as many as they can get. Well, they get caught. They get put on trial. They get found guilty. Before they even get thrown in jail, they're flogged. They're beaten to the brink of death. And then they're thrown in jail. And the jails back then, they weren't playing basketball and having five-course meals like they're having in these, these jails today. I mean, we're talking, you step on the wrong piece of concrete or sand back then, you're getting some kind of disease. Like, these jails are disgusting. And so they're in the jail, and what happens? They shrug their shoulders, and they start to weep. And God, why did you do this to us again? Why? If I'm Paul at this point, I'm saying, I'm done. God, I've done everything you've asked me. I've done it all. I've gotten beaten. The river almost got me. Why am I here? Again? Again, Lord? I'm in jail again? No. You know what he starts doing? You know what Silas starts doing? Surrender. They start praising and their praise gets louder, and their praise gets deeper, and their praise gets thicker to the point where it says around midnight, something of a loud earthquake came and shook the prison. The gates, all of the doors in the prison fly open. The shackles fall off. And the prison guard gets up, and he's like, oh, I could, I, I'm in my mind a picture, and he's at a desk with a donut. And he's like, what happened? I, I would love to be that prison guard back then to hear. I, I, in his mind, he's probably like, oh no, here comes the news is going to come. On today's news, we have the prison guard who let all the prisoners out. This is uh, Johnny B. He, uh, 219 people escaped on his watch. He was eating a donut. The prison guard goes to fall on his sword because he knows what's coming. All these, prison, all these prisoners are escaping. He's dead. He goes to fall on his sword and he hears, wait, 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 stop. Stop. Don't, don't, don't do that. We're all still here. The prisoners stayed right where they were. No one left. And in his mind, he's probably thinking, all right, what are these guys on right now? Like their shackles are off. The doors are open. What is happening? But he was about to encounter some next level faith. Because it was at that point, the prisoner goes to Paul and Silas. He takes them into his own home. He washes their wounds. And he and his family that day are converted. Mm. That's some next level faith right there. That's some faith activation right there. Another, another quick story of a faith activation. Acts 28. So Paul is, is on his way. He's always going somewhere. Paul, I don't envy this man. He's constantly traveling. In my old job, I used to have to travel a lot. And at first it was nice, but it started to get old. But Paul, this guy's traveling all the time. He's on a boat. He's traveling. And he gets shipwrecked. And he's on the island of Malta. It's right off of uh, the Italian coast. He's heading to Rome. And they're exhausted. They all make it to shore safely. But he and his crew are tired. They're beaten down. They're exhausted. And it's cold. So they're sitting around a fire, and the fire's starting to go out. So Paul goes to gather a bundle of sticks. And he picks up the bundle, and in that bundle that he picks up, a snake comes, and it doesn't just bite him. The scripture says it fastened itself on him. So he's here, venomous, deadly snake, just kind of hanging from him. And (laughs) I can picture all the guys around being like, 
yo, this, uh, I know it's about to happen. Tim, you get his car keys, I'll get his wallet when he falls. We good? They're thinking, this guy's done. There ain't no way. We've seen this happen one too many times with this snake. I don't know what kind of snake it was. It just says it was a viper. But what's he do? He activates his faith. He looks at that snake, takes a couple looks at it. Probably said something like, you idiot. Looks at the fire, flings it in the fire. And he goes and he sits back down. And all the men are like, huh? What did this man just do? They're expecting him to die, yet he flings a snake off and he just goes about his day. That's some active faith. I want that active faith. I get bit by a snake. I'm like, babe, call the cops. Call the ambulance. I'm out. We got to go. Who's got the antidote? This dude shakes it off in the fire. But sometimes faith activation just looks like taking a little step. It's not always shaking a snake off you. Sometimes it is just meeting your neighbor out of the mailbox and asking them how their day went. And sometimes it's just a little step. On one of Paul's final letters, he writes, he's writing to Timothy. We see her here in 2 Timothy 4, verse 6. He's nearing the end of his life here. He says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering. The time of my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now, there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also those who have longed for his appearing. He's on the brink of death. He knows he's dying. Shortly after this, he, he is beheaded and killed for his faith. He knows what's coming, but he's writing to Timothy to say, don't quit. Fight the good fight. Don't stop. Finish the race. Your crown of righteousness is waiting for you on the other side. Don't stop. Keep the faith. Mm. Thank you, Lord. As a, uh, as a seven-year-old boy, I started to become really ill. Nobody knew what was wrong with me. Um, I just know, and I distinctly remember... I was very active outside and I didn't want to go outside and play anymore. You know, my mom would always have to call me in for dinner because I'd be with the neighborhood kids, but I wasn't doing that anymore. I was just inside kind of moping around, kind of laying around and I was vomiting profusely. When I say profusely, it was, I couldn't, it was multiple times a day I was vomiting. I was just a sick child, but nobody knew. We had no idea. We go from hospital to hospital, doctor to doctor, uh, we finally end up at AI DuPont, and there I get an ultrasound of my abdomen, a CAT scan of my abdomen, uh, and we still, we're, we're searching for answers. And as a seven-year-old, you understand and you discern that there's something off with me right now, but I don't fully grasp what's happening in my body. It was my mom and dad who really had to endure the burden of having a, a severely sick child that we didn't know what was going on. So at this point, I want to call my mom, Debbie Grandizio, up. Can you give it up for her? I want you all to hear her side of walking out activated faith. Well, if, if any of you ever have ever had a child that was chronically ill, you know the burden is really on the parents. Because he's, I mean, sometimes, some days would, were better than others. Some days he could sit and he could do a puzzle. He could sit and he could color. Um, it was around, right before Thanksgiving is when he started really, really getting sick. I took him to our pediatrician. He did a barrage of tests, um, gave him medicine, nothing helped. Um, the the principal at the Christian Academy where uh, my children attended did allow me to 
go up to the school, get his work on Monday, what the kids were doing all week. I could teach him at home and then I'd bring his work back on Friday. And um, some the teachers would say, Debbie, what is wrong with Billy? What is wrong? You're uh, my unsaved loved ones. What are you going to do? What you, I, my, I'm doing everything. What if it's cancer? What if it's tumors? We're doing everything. He's being checked. We are doing everything. And this poor kid was so sick. And that was November. In February, I still have a very sick child, and I have gone everywhere. Um, Bill and I could no longer go to Bible study. One of us had to stay home with him. And this one night, I really thought we were going to lose him. I laid him in our bed and I was looking at him. He was so pale. I picked him up. I put him in the car and I crashed Bible study. I ran in with Billy in my arms and um, my pastor saw the distraught look on my face. And he he had everybody from Bible study get up. He's saying, are you okay? I said, yeah, I'm okay. I just want prayer for him. They prayed for him. I brought him home. I put him in bed and I thought, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And right then the Lord spoke. And I don't know if any of you journal, but it's a really good idea to journal because you forget sometimes what the Lord says. And on February 20th, February 20th, 1997, he is healed. He will not need an operation. So I wrote it, February 20th, 1997. And the next week he was worse. So I'd say, this is what you said, Lord, that, with tears. Lord, this is what you said. This is what you told me. But remember, Hebrews 11 says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things we can't see. You're telling me he's healed. And every week, my child gets worse. Uh, we, we need help. So I just kept going back to his word, back to his word. And Sunday, now he couldn't go to school, but my kids knew unless you're vomit. We had three rule, We had three things for you to stay home from church. If you're vomiting, if you have diarrhea, if you have a fever of 101, or if you're bleeding out. If you're not, you're in church. So I'd, I'd bring him into church, and a lot of times he couldn't go down to children's church. He'd sit next to me in the pew. He'd be holding his stomach, and he would just lean up against me. And one of my girlfriends at church came, and she said, Debbie, he's sick. Would you please take him to my daughter's pediatrician? I said, okay, give me the number. I mean, we've been everywhere. So I called this new doctor in media. I took him with all his tests. I had, you know, a thick uh, folder of tests. She looked at him and she said, we're going we're gonna to order one more test. And I kind of rolled my eyes like, okay. They drew blood. This was maybe on a Tuesday or Wednesday. Now it's April. So he had been sick since November. So I took him to this doctor and she did the test. She drew blood like Tuesday or Wednesday. I forget what day it was. That Sunday, I have him in church. He's next to me. He's holding his stomach. And our pastor gave an altar call for healing. He never looked at me. He never even said, would you go with me? He went, I'm gone. He said, so I watched him. Went, he got in line. And on the way home, he goes, mom. I, when pastor prayed for me, I got really hot and I said, you did. And he seems different. His coloring is coming back. He just seemed different. We came home. He went outside. He played the next day. He said, I want to go to school. So I called the nurse. I gave her my cell phone number. I said, if Billy comes up, tell me I'll come get him. She said, okay, but he seems fine. So he made it all day, comes home from school. He's, he wants to go out and play. My phone rings that day. It was a Monday. And so he got prayed for on Sunday. Monday, my, this new doctor called me and she's real excited. She said, Mrs. Grandizio, we found out what Billy's problem is. I said, what is it? She said, he's got celiac disease. He's got a wheat gluten allergy. And I said, Dr. DiMaggio, I, he, this, today was his first day at school. I just gave him a whole wheat bagel for breakfast. He had sandwich on whole wheat bread. She said, bring him in. Got him in the car. I brought, brought him to her office. And she looked at him and she said, well, he sure looks like a different kid than he was last week. But she handed me his test. His gliadin antibody was positive. She said, 
This says he's got celiac disease. I said, Dr. Tamaj, I have to tell you something. We believe in a God who heals. And, and, and I said, yesterday, he went down to the altar and made a claim on that healing for, of our God that heals. And now, usually doctors will look at you like you have three heads. She looked at me and she went, well, praise the Lord. I said, I said, are, are you a Christian? She said, I am a Christian. I, I quit our old pediatrician. I started going to her. Um, but she, she, she said to me, she said, do you know if God hadn't touched him, do you know how difficult yours and his life would be? You would have to cook different. And back in the 90s, it was even harder with these allergies. She said, you would, you would have to cook differently. He could not live a normal life as a kid. She said, praise God that he healed him. I walked out of that office that day with a new kid and a new pediatrician. Let's give it up for God. Isn't he good? Thank the Lord. Can I tell you, I don't, I might just still be eating gluten if I was like that because I love pizza. I I love the fact that she gave me a whole wheat bagel, not realizing it was celiac, but is that not some active faith right there? Let's go. The band's going to join me now. I'm going to tell you one last little tidbit about Paul. So his faith journey, it lasts about 33 years. In that time, he goes on not one, not two, not three, but four different missionary journeys. His last one being in Rome, where he's finally killed for his beliefs. He goes everywhere from Asia Minor to Greece to Italy. And scholars say that he had plans to go to Spain, although there's no record of it. He writes 13 out of the 27 books in the New Testament. Most believe Paul also wrote Hebrews and others say it was more of a collaboration. Paul had next level faith because he drew from the only source of faith that has withstanded the test of time. The only source of faith that's conquered both hell and the grave. The only source of faith that will never leave you nor forsake you. And so today, I want to share with you, God wants to be your source of faith, your one and only, and allow him to today. Let's stand together. Thanks for checking out the PowerPlace audio podcast. If you want more resources for your walk with the Lord, you can visit us online at www.thepowerplace.org. You can check us out on YouTube and Facebook at The Power Place Church if you want to watch the service online. And if you want to give, you can text any amount to 84321 or visit the church website.